Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Acts in chapter 10. And so if you have your uh, Bibles with you today, please turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And here in Acts chapter 10, it is incredibly beautiful what the Lord is doing. You have to keep in mind, too, the, the man called Cornelius. Remember, he's a centurion, as we studied last week. And in verse 1, you know, he's a centurion. We get a little picture of this particular fellow by the name of Cornelius. In verse 2, we see that he's a devout man, a devout man, one who fears God. With all his household who gave alms generously to the people. He was very generous, very charitable. And he prayed to the Lord. He prayed to God always. And it's so cool because you see verse 3, the Lord is giving him a vision as well. It's very cool to see people like this in the Bible. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. Very, so beautiful. You know, for me personally, and I hope and I pray that it's the same for you. But I fall in love with these people. Because it's like, wow, you know, if there's ever moments in your life where you think like, wow, there's, you know, you're at point A and you think like, man, you know, you read your Bible and you're like, wow, the Lord desires, you know, point B, point C, point D. And you're like, wow, there's no way I can achieve that. It's impossible. You read the Bible and you see these beautiful people. And it's like, wow, you know, he did it. She did it. She denied herself. He denied himself. And maybe I can too. And you pray and you know the Holy Spirit is a helper. He helps us. He helps you. Because you know what? It's like the Lord desires righteousness in His people. And He's just not going to say, you know, be righteous and figure it out for yourself. He tells us, you know, be holy for I am holy. He says, be holy. But you know what? I'm going to help you to be holy. The question is, do I want that help? Do you want that help? That's a hardcore question that each and every one of us are going to have ask of ourselves. Lord, do I want your help? And there's such a thing called the pride of life, which is like, I don't need help. I don't want help. I got this. I can hack it. And then you look at the, you know, the, the, the fruit of your works and you realize like, man, I don't got this. Like, I think I do. You look at the fruit in your life and you're like, well, that's what's so cool about this. You know, these moments of introspection of self. You can do a self-examination. We do it corporately as a church body once a month on communion days. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you know, you read your Bible and it's like, well, Lord, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this lady. And, you know, for men, it, there's, it's no, you know, sometimes, you know, I talk with guys and they're like, you know, macho men. You don't have to be a macho man to the Lord. You know, it's like you see these attributes of women and it's like, well, I want to be like this. Not the woman physical. I mean, you know, what's going on spiritually in her body? What's going on deep down? You know, when uh, a husband laughs at the wife and then the high priest laughs at the woman, but here she is a prayer warrior. You know, such is the case with Hannah. You know, it's like, wow, I want to have faith like her. I want faith like her, you know, to honor the Lord, to pray to the Lord. And, you know, even when, you know, medical doctors, you know, the brainiacs, they might say, oh, this is impossible. This is impossible. And you know what? She goes and prays to the Lord. It's like, well, I want a faith like that. 
and you read, you continue to read, you see more people like this, and it's like, wow, Lord, help me be like this. And you know what? He says, okay, I'll help you. The question is, do I want it? Do you want it? It's the act of denying self. The act of carrying one's cross. So when we read passages like in Acts 10 verse 2, and you read about Cornelius, and it's like, whoa, you know, like the Lord is giving him a vision. Like in verse 3, the Lord is giving him a vision. It's like, how come I don't have visions? And it's not to get like, you know, like, oh yeah, I'll, not, not to get on a high horse. You know, I have visions. I, you know, do all these things. It's nothing like that at all. But you see these gifts, things that the Lord shows people. And you know, it's not a small thing. It's a huge deal. It's a big deal. And it's beautiful. So many times people say, oh yeah, you know what? People don't have visions anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. People don't have visions anymore. That The, the Lord is done working like that. You're not going to find that in the Bible, an expiration date on His Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit moves and works. The question is, where are the people like Cornelius? The devout men. Even devout women for that matter. Where is the fear of the Lord? Where is, you know, generous alms, generous charity? Where are the prayer warriors? We're going to see in verse 30... You know, it's not captured here in verse 2, but in verse 30, it's captured that he was fasting. You know, who is it in your life that you see is, you know, fast, praise and fast? This is something that I think we're going to have to pray about and discuss corporately as a church body entering the last days. It's like, hey, you know what? We got to get pretty hardcore now. Not that I ever get to a situation where I want to dismiss not having a hardcore lifestyle. But I think things are going to take another turn where it's like, you know what, we got to get hardcore. I mean like crazy, crazy hardcore. Where it's like the world thinks we're stupid, but who cares? The Lord is going to, you know, he's, it's like a gas burner, you know, you turn the little thingamajig, the little knob... And you see the flame. A little flame goes from blue, and then all of a sudden the flame gets huge. And you see like, wow, there's no more blue anymore. It's just almost white because it's so hot. That's what's going to happen in the last days. And what do you see already? I meant like one month of quarantine. One month of quarantine or, you know, stay-home order. And people are losing their minds. People are going crazy. And I get it, you know, I don't want to gloss over the fact that, you know, people have to go back to work and people are hard up on cash flow, you know. But, you know, the, you read the Bible and the Lord teaches us wisdom in days of plenty to save up for the days of famine. These are attributes that the Lord teaches us. Characteristics, things that, you know, that, are, that test the mind. It's like, wow, you know, I can live off, you know, uh, $1,000 a month. But I make, you know, uh, uh, $1,500 a month. That extra $500, do I go out and blow it? Do I go out and buy a new car? Do I go out and do all this crazy stuff? Get more beer, more booze, get, you know, whatever? Or do I put it in the bank? Do I hold it in the bank? You know, people don't have rainy day funds. 
you know, I'm not, I don't want to speak about, you know, like finances or anything. These are things that the Bible teaches us. To have a sound mind, to have wisdom. So when the days of famine come, it's like, okay, the days of famine are here. And it's like, okay, it's smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. But then you see people going crazy. Straight up crazy. They're advocating, you know what? Let's be disobedient to government. Let's be disobedient to government. And it's like, wow, you know, where's the... You know, it's exposing a lot. And it's just going to get worse and more things are going to expose the, the, the carnal nature. And I'm not saying, you know, a hardcore like submission to government. I'm not coming off like that at all. And if it comes off that way, you know, I'm sorry, forgive me. I don't want to come off that way. But, you know, people talk about, you know, oh, yeah, Second Amendment. If the government infringes upon me, you know, it's time to handle business. We're going to town, you know, militia up, militia at the ready. And I get that, you know, I'm patriotic. I swore an oath to the Constitution. But for the Christian, sometimes I wonder if people really know what they're asking for. You know, blood and guts and gore. It's fine on the TV screen, you know, it's fine in the movies, it's fine in the video games. I'm not saying it's fine, but I mean, like, it's, it's one thing to see it on a screen. But the horrors of combat, the horrors that you see in warfare, killing the act of killing, it's not a small thing. Not only that, but the mentality required to kill. It's it, 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 it comes against the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not speaking negatively about, you know, our troops or, you know, the U.S. military. I'm not speaking negatively about them because I have such adoration for these people because it's like, you know, it's kind of like a, a safety wall. For our citizenry. But people speak so loosely about matters they do not understand. And a lot is being exposed. And I'm not talking about, you know, like... It, it just calls upon every Christian. Every single Christian. To really take inventory of his or her own heart... To be on our knees before the Lord and pray, Lord, what will you have me do? Lord, what will you have us do as a church body? Very, very sensitive times. And it reminds me a lot about the book of Acts. Very sensitive times. The, the, the cost of being a Christian was just, you know, not so much here in this particular verse in, 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 in this particular time period. And I should say kind of, you know, it's getting to the point where, you know, it, it goes from, you know, low heat to, you know, a little bit higher heat. Because remember, there was the diaspora. People were like, oh, man, you know, it's I want to get out of Dodge, you know, the cost of being a Christian. And that's Jew among Jew. You know, there were Jews who were like of the law that were really coming down hard against Jews who were of the faith of the Christian faith. Messianic Jews who believed in Jesus Christ. That's where you see Saul persecuting the Christians. How he was there present when Stephen was killed. 
But don't forget that there's Rome too. Rome where Caesar is Lord. There's no higher authority than Caesar. And it's getting to that point. You're going to see it. It's going to, it starts to amp up where Jews in accordance with the law and Rome, they have Christians in the crosshairs. This is a big deal what's happening in the household of Cornelius. Because remember, he's a, a centurion, a commander of the Italian regiment. A commander, a hundred men. That's why they call him centurion. And it's so cool because remember last week we studied, you know, Peter, how the Lord is telling Peter in a vision where he was in a trance. He was in ecstasy. That's literally how it translates, ecstasy. Peter was in ecstasy. And, you know, we have the, you know, ecstasy as a drug nowadays because Satan likes to twist things. But then remember, too, ecstasy being, it's like, wow, his mind is in another place. That's what's so cool about, you know, you could just be sitting on a park bench, sitting on your couch or doing whatever. And it's like, wow, you're here on this earth, but your mind is in the heavenly realm. Ecstasy. I love it so much. Those are beautiful moments. If you ever do that, if you ever let your mind escape into heavenly things and you start to wander and think and you're praying and it's like, well, make sure you're following the Bible. You know, don't create little crazy things in your head. Make sure it's in the Bible. Biblically accurate. Biblically accurate. You know, and you start pondering these things and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe the Lord will give you a vision. Because you're receptive to deep heavenly things. It's not to say, you know, when you're closed off to certain things, oh yeah, my pastor tells me that was for 2,000 years ago, therefore I'm going to ignore the Holy Spirit. This urging I feel in my heart, this, uh, you know, this prodding I feel in my heart, I'm just going to ignore it. Because my pastor, he's a theologian. You know, he went to the Bible college, he did the seminary, he did all these things. I see the doctorates in his office, and then all of a sudden, it's like, you know what, I feel this prodding in my heart, but I'm going to ignore it. It's so sad because so many people are like that. A lot of people are like that. But we read the Bible and it's like, whoa, you see the Holy Spirit guiding. And the Lord tells Peter in verse 15, he says, Peter, what God has cleansed or what God has made clean, you must not call common. You must not call unclean. Remember, this is the new covenant. New covenant. There's the old way, which is the Old Testament, and then there's the new way. It's like, wow, does that mean that it's like, you know, completely over? The old covenant, the law, is it completely over? No. No, it depends on you. I'll give you an example. If somebody says, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm under grace, praise the Lord. Because you tell me you're under grace, I have certain... You know, not that I'm a, you know, an authority, but it's like, you know, I have certain expectations of your lifestyle. Being that you're not a drunkard, you know, you're not, you're not beating on your wife. You know, you don't have like five girlfriends on the side. You don't have needles in your arm. You're not cooking spoons. You're not doing your pornography stuff. That's the expectations that I have when you tell me you're under grace. Oh, you're such a legalist. That's not legalism. That's called Christianity. That's our faith. That's our walk. That's called being a believer, being obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, I thought I was under grace, but you know what? I like my crack. And, you know, I like to get high. I like to get baked. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. You're not under grace, my friend. You're under the law. You know how you feel convicted when you're higher than a kite and you start to come down and then all of a sudden you feel hardcore conviction? That's called the hammer of the law. And that hammer is a schoolmaster. It's a tutor to bring you back to Christ. Take my hand and walk with me to Christ. Walk with me to Christ. You're under the law, my friend, and I want to get you back under grace. You need to repent. You see? That's how, it's not to say that the law is over. The law is in full effect, but it has a specific purpose. Grace is in full effect, and it has a specific purpose. But this door of grace, this door of grace that's open to the Gentiles, it's kind of cool. Because here, I mean, it's cool in terms of what we're studying, but it's kind of like scary too if people are playing games with the Lord. Because in Acts chapter 10 in our study, it's like the door is opening. But then like the days that we live in, me personally, I believe that the door is it's just about ready to close. You know, the Lord could tarry. It could be a hundred years. It could be a thousand years. I don't know. But I read my Bible and I look at the, you know, the, the times that we're in. I look at the events in the world, what's happening geopolitically, what's happening in Israel. You know, locusts, earthquakes, volcanoes, floods. You don't see a lot of floods in the news. But you do your own research. You look at all the flooding. There's flooding all over the place. You know, Europe, they, in Great Britain, they just had a huge flood there a couple weeks ago. And flooding in the United States, the tornadoes. And me personally, I believe it's all these nations that are messing with Israel. All these nations that are messing with Israel and Jerusalem. And how the promise of the Lord says, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. And then not only that, but look at the, the, the virus. And I'm not trying to capitalize, you know, you see these like certain preachers, they say, you know, they try to capitalize on this, you know, we're in the last days, so send me all your money. It's like, no, it's nothing like that. But you read the Bible, you read these Old Testament prophecies, you read the New Testament prophecies, and it begs the question, are we in fact in the last days? And I say, yes. Yes. Things are going to get a lot heavier. A lot hotter. And you know what's going to be exposed? False teachers. False teachings. The adherence to those people. It's so sad because look at the charismatic movement. Charismatic movement. Name it and claim it. You know, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And you see these pastors of the charismatic movement. You know, charismatic Pentecostalism. And they say, oh, yeah, you know, the Lord's going to protect me from the virus. So we're going to have church, all these things. And, you know, name it and claim it, you know, in the name of Jesus and all these things. And, you know, a couple weeks later, the pastor's dead. Coronavirus. How did he die? Coronavirus. But wait a second. I thought he, see, he prayed against that. It's false teachings. It's false doctrines. And this is a perfect example of how it's dangerous. Dangerous. 
I'm not trying to say that the Lord can't protect, the Lord can't heal, because He certainly can. But you know what? We have to follow the Word of God. We have to follow the Word of God. And these things are going to be exposed in the last days, okay? If you want to adhere to the name it and claim it movement, if you want to adhere, adhere to, you know, uh, cal hardcore Calvinism, if you want to lean on your Presbyterianism and the teachings, okay? But when the earth shakes, what about when, you know, you know, a major pastor says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. And people start taking the mark. of the People in the fold of Christ start taking the mark of the beast because of what this pastor teaches. Doctrine. In accordance with Holy Scripture. Doctrine. I'm not trying to say that, you know, the, the Lord can't heal. The Lord doesn't direct because He certainly does. But we have to make sure every single one of us, we're all in the same boat, that we adhere to doctrine in accordance with Holy Scripture. You see the hand of God moving here in Acts chapter 10. And it's so beautiful to witness and behold. So Peter, what happens, you know, he's on the roof. They're cooking lunch downstairs. And he's on the rooftop and he's praying to the Lord. And then all of a sudden he sees these visitors come to the gate. And so he asks the question in verse 21, For what reason have you come? In verse uh, uh, 21, For what reason have you come? And then he explains, you know, he says, They said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation. You know, it says, you know, they, they uh, um, among all the nations of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And so they stayed the night, and the next day they leave. They head for, um, uh, they head for Cornelius's house in Caesarea, like a thirty-four. You know, the the distance from the you know like the uh, uh, Joppa to uh, uh, Caesarea is about thirty-four miles. But when you consider the outskirts of town, it might have been a twenty-five mile journey, twenty mile journey. You know, it's like to say the distance from Vancouver to uh, 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 <clears throat> say Longview is you know 40 miles but then what if you're like in you know like South Longview and you know North Vancouver it might be 20 miles you know so it's kind of similar to that so look what happens here in verse 24 where we left off last week <clears throat> so in verse 24 you know the trek now the trek that they had it's over they arrive at their destination and here in verse 24 and the following day they entered Caesarea now Cornelius was waiting for them and this is so cool because you know the last time we see Cornelius is in verse 8 when he's sending them sending his uh, 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 the attendant his attendant and two servants he sends them over to Joppa that's the last time we hear of Cornelius in verse 8 and it's so cool because here he's waiting, except, you know, the, you know, the, the, he sends three, the, the two atten or one attendant and two servants. He sends three and at least six come back. At least six come back. Could be 10 that came back. Could be 20 that came back. You know, but I have a hunch it's maybe like seven came back. And you say, what do you mean? <clears throat> 
Well, remember verse 23 says, you know, Peter went with them and, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. So if you have the three and you, you add Peter, that's four. And if it was one brother, it would be five. So it's at least two brothers, which makes it six. That's, that's why I say at least six people. You know, so it's like, you know, Cornelius was waiting for them in verse 24. And I love that because it shows a picture of Cornelius. Kind of like expecting something, expecting something like, what is this all about? I want answers. I don't know what's that, but I, 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 I want this, you know, like this great, beautiful expectation that he has. It says, and, and had called together his relatives and close friends. I love this so much because Cornelius, he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. He straight up goes to his friends, goes to his family and says, look, guys, this is what happened to me. You know, the Lord gave me a vision, you know, and I saw an angel of God coming and he said to me, Cornelius, and I did all these things. And, and, and look, I don't know what's happening, but I sent these three guys and they might come back soon. So just wait here. You don't, you just... Come over to my house and, you know, let's let's see what happens. And what's so cool is that these people came to Cornelius. They're waiting. They're like, they're in the house. And Cornelius is waiting for the three guys or the, he, maybe he thinks four guys is coming or are coming. You know, the three and maybe Peter. But no, there's at least six coming back. And Cornelius was waiting for them. And had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter was coming in. So it's so cool. It says, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I think this is so beautiful. Now, before you think like, whoa, what do you mean here? He's worshipping Peter. Why do you call that beautiful? Well, how do I say this? It, it, remember the teachings of Jesus Christ are currently unknown, unknown to Cornelius. The teachings of Jesus Christ are currently unknown. But he's no stranger to holy things. I meant his alms. Look at verse 4. The angel of the Lord is saying, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So even though Cornelius doesn't have a close personal relationship, God still sees him. And God is still pleased. I'm not trying to say that there is such a thing as salvation outside of Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that, you know what? When God sees that in a person such as Cornelius, look at what he arranges. Look at what the Lord arranges by divine appointment. There's no manipulation whatsoever. Zero hand of man. But 100% hand of God. And so you see Cornelius, he's oblivious to the teachings of Christ, but he still has godly attributes. And, you know, the Lord arranges this divine appointment. But then at the same time, Cornelius, he met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And what's so cool about this, you know, a lot of Catholics, they say Peter was the first, actually all Catholics, they say Peter was the first pope. You know, they're pretty staunch about that. Peter was the first pope. Well, what you don't see is you don't see Peter behaving like a pope. You don't see Peter saying, oh, hello, Cornelius, worship me, kiss my ring, you know, and pray to me. You don't see that. 
You don't see that at all. Where do these Catholics get off with it? You know, it has no basis in Scripture. They just make up, literally, you know, like the Pope makes up stuff. And because they call him the so-called the vicar of Christ, the representative of Christ on earth. It's a lie. It's a lie. You read the First Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council. I'm not advocating reading that. But if you should find your, you know, your eyes perusing these teachings and you know the Bible, it's garbage. Just like the Institutes of the Christian Religion written by John Calvin. Garbage. You say, well, you know, you talk to the, well, don't, well, that's so disrespectful. Why do you call it garbage? Well, because I read my Bible. I read my Bible and I'm able to identify what garbage is. That's protection. Protection that we can have in these last days. When people say, oh yeah, the Lord, you know, he spoke to my heart and told me I should do this. I spoke to a person. He told me, you know what, the Lord gave me uh, a vision. And in the vision, the Lord told me to divorce my wife. And so I divorced my wife. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Is that also why, you know, you're, you're on drugs all the time? You know, the voice you listened to wasn't the Lord. You were visited by a demon. And what's worse, you obeyed him. You need to repent. Oh, don't tell me that. I don't need to repent. I don't need to repent. It's pride and selfishness. Humility is a beautiful tool. A beautiful characteristic, you know, attribute that we can hold on to. Because humility has no problem falling in your face before the Lord. Humility has no problem when somebody says, hey, you know what, you're, I don't, you know, there's this thing that I have issue with and because the Bible has issue with it. Humility says, oh, you know what, tell me, what is it? Say, well, you know, you, you do this. It's like, oh, God, forgive me, you know, I'm sorry. And you repent, what happens? You earn a brother, you earn a sister. And it's so cool what happens here. It's like Cornelius, you know, he doesn't know the teachings of the Lord. He just knows something holy is happening. He sees Peter and he falls down at his feet and worships him. I love, you see the innocence of Cornelius. The innocence of Cornelius. What a beautiful, beautiful man. And then Peter, in verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. He's saying, you know, Cornelius, I'm just like you. There's nothing special about me. It's the Lord. I'm just like you here. Don't worship me. Don't worship me, Cornelius, here. I'm going to help you up. Stand up to your feet. It's okay. Don't be afraid. That's what's so cool about it. You know what? If there was anything sinister in Peter's heart, you know, he wouldn't have done these things. I'm not suggesting that, you know, that he was carnal. I mean, he does make mistakes. We're going to see that in a couple more chapters. He makes some mistakes and he's so humble, he still he repents. And then you read 1 Peter, 2 Peter. You read his letters that he writes to the church. And you know what I love about Peter is that you see his humanity. Even as a disciple, you see his humanity because he would say things. And it's like, well, I can't believe Peter said that. You know, one minute, you know, he's praising the Lord saying, you know, you are the son of God. And then the next minute you read a couple lines down and the Lord is rebuking him. 
Get behind me, Satan. I love Peter so much. You know what? Even when he denied the Lord, I love Peter so much. Because he denies the Lord and it reminds me of me in moments in my life when I denied the Lord. And it's so cool because it's like you read these passages, you get to the book of Acts, and you see a different Peter. Why? Because he repented and he returned to the Lord. Remember when he's on the boat and the people say, who, who is this guy? And they say, it's Jesus. And Peter jumps off and he swims to him and he embraces him and hugs him. It's like, wow, you know what? He's been restored. It's not the same Peter who denied Christ. It's a different Peter now. And then you get to Acts chapter 2 and you see it's hardcore different Peter now. He has the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's so cool what happens here. Do you know like prideful people, a prideful person wouldn't tell that to Cornelius. They wouldn't say, oh yeah, it's okay, you know what, you don't have to worship me, don't do that. They'd, they'd like it. You know, one time I was talking to a Catholic guy, in my Catholic days, <clears throat> Talking to one of the, uh, um, uh, it was in the military, he's an officer. You know, they're, they're, the chaplaincy was officer grade. And so I said, excuse me, sir. And then he turns around and he says, you call me father. And I was like, oh, okay, father, you know, never mind. <laughs> and I went to go talk to my Christian friend. Now, he wasn't really a friend at the time. But I went to go talk to him. You know, and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that in our group of guys, there was one guy who made a stand. And so look what happens here. Peter says, stand up. I myself am also a man. You know, this is, you know, all the, you read the Old Testament and all of God's people, they don't want to worship. They don't want worship at all. They want worship unto the Lord, not unto themselves. You know, just like you see the, an encounter with an angel. And you see people like in a vision or they're, in a, and they're encountering an angel and they bow down to worship the angel and the angel's like, no, stand up. You know, I'm a, I'm a servant like you. We worship the Lord. You know who the, the, the evil angels are the ones that want worship. You know, they want, yeah, bow down to me, bow down to me, worship me. That's how you know it's evil. That's how you know it's satanic. And so look what happens here. In verse 27, and as, as he talked with him, so Peter and Cornelius, they're having a conversation. As he, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. This is so cool. You know, Peter's a fisherman. He's a fisher of men trained by the Lord. But sometimes the fish are brought to him. <laughs> sometimes the fish are brought to him. Such is the case here with Cornelius in his home. He sees Cornelius, hey, Cornelius, don't worship me. You don't stand up. I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. And then all of a sudden they go into Cornelius' house and Peter sees, whoa, it's not just Cornelius. I thought it was just going to be Cornelius. But it's not just Cornelius. Who are these people? It's like a house full of people. And so Peter, as a fisherman, you know, sometimes he fishes, but in this case, the fish are brought to him. You see that Cornelius' relatives, the close friends, don't forget, maybe the immediate family. If he had a son, a daughter, you know, servants, 
Maybe some troops. Remember, he's a centurion. Maybe some troops were there. So it was like a full house. Peter maybe just thought it was just going to be Cornelius. Maybe Cornelius and his wife, a couple kids. But no, it's like the packed house. And so look what happens here. Peter speaks now. In verse 28, then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. This is in accordance with the law. You know, like if I was a Jewish guy and you guys were Gentiles, you know, or you guys are Gentiles, but if you were uh, like, or you know, if I was a Jew in these days, I wouldn't, you know, there would be like no interaction. No interaction because in accordance with the law, it's like it's not happening. Because Jews, well, the, the reason why that came in, because in the law, the Lord teaches the people, you know, we're going to read this when we get in on a Wednesday study, when we get into the uh, Levitical writings and the writings in Deuteronomy, a little bit in Numbers. But the Lord says, you know what, don't mess around with these other people. You guys are a special people. Israel, you guys are a special people. Don't mess around with these other people. Don't take in their daughters for marriage. Don't, you know, let your daughters marry these people. You know, you guys are just, you know, it's the Jew for Jew, you know, marriage-wise, you know, and God-wise too. Because when you look at the history, when you read uh, anthropologically the history of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, Jebusites, all these people, there's some hardcore, hardcore idolatry. I mean, all idolatry is hardcore. But there's some major idolatry where it's like, man, they, a lot of sexual sin, a lot of misuse of the human body for the sake of, you know, for sexual things, for the sake of their gods. But then at the same time, like child sacrifice, sacrifice to Molech. You know, the, you know, the God of Molech is alive and well today. Just look at abortion. Molech. Abortion. Alive and well, people are so blind, they don't even see it. And so in the Old Testament, you see that God says, don't mess with these other people. You guys are a special people set apart. And then what happens when, like, when, when, uh, <clears throat> when the Jews go into Babylonian captivity, there's 70 years in Babylonian captivity. You read Lamentations, and it's like the straight up Lamentation of Jeremiah the prophet, the lonely prophet, the weeping prophet. And he's so sad for his people. But then the 70 years comes to an end and you start to read Ezra, Nehemiah. And what happens in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is before the king, Atacerses. And Atacerses is, you know, it, he's sad. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Nehemiah, he's sad before the king. And that alone is a crime. I mean, that's punishable by death. Because like if you were a king and I was your servant, it, like you're sitting on your throne you know, and, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm like, say I'm your servant. And I, I can't, I can't be like, you know, like sad because I would mess with your countenance. You know, I have to just kind of be there. <laughs> I got to kind of be cheerful, not overly cheerful, like stupid, but cheerful. Like, you know, like I, I don't want to get you down in the dumps. And so it was punishable by death. if like, I'm sad because I'm going to mess with you. And so the servant, another servant would come and say, okay, let's step outside and they'd kill me. You know, so what happened with Nehemiah is that he was sad before the king. And you see the favor of the Lord because rather than Atacerses say, hey, get out of my chambers, I'm going to kill you. Rather than Atacerses say that, what happens? Atacerses says, Nehemiah, what's up? He doesn't say it like that. Nehemiah, what's, 
What's wrong with your countenance? And remember, 70 years in Babylonian captivity. This was like, you know, the 69.7, you know, 69.7 years. It's right at the end of their captivity. And so Nehemiah, he says, oh man, that is seriously, well, he doesn't say it like that. He's like, you know, king, you know, I love being here. I love being in your presence. I'm here to serve you. But you know what? I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. And you know what? My people were. Everything that you hear about Israel, everything that you hear about the temple, everything that you hear about Jerusalem, the holy city, it's all torn asunder. It's all destroyed. Adesersi says, man, you know what? That's too bad. That's too bad. You know what? Why don't you go back, pack up your bags, and go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding? Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the money you need. I'm gonna bankroll it. You see the favor of the Lord. And so what happens is that, you know, the Jews came back. You read Ezra, you read Nehemiah, you read these passages in Scripture. And what happens is that the people repent because what they started to do is they started to take in, you know, when they were in, you know, 70 years in captivity, they started to take wives, you know, Babylonian wives, and they would have like little Babylonian kids. And so they started to intermingle with that culture. And so what happens is they get back to Jerusalem and they all repent. You know, they no longer marry. They no longer are intermarried and they repent. They say, you know what? We are a people set apart, a holy people. So, you know, what? it's Jew for Jew now. We're, gonna, we're getting back to where we need to be. But what happened because of the Jewish influence in Babylon in the, you know, Babylonia, what happened is that that's where you have the Samaritans. The Samaritans. That's also where you have the wise men. You know, they had that Jewish influence of Hebrew teachings. And then all of a sudden they said, wait a second, what's this star? What's this star in the sky? Interesting. That reminds me of this prophecy. They read the Bible. They look at, you know, roll out the text, roll out the, the scrolls. They start to read. And it's like, yep, sure enough. Yeah, this star. I wonder what's really going on. And then one of them gets an idea. It says, you know what, guys? Let's follow that star. Let's go towards that star. I mean, can you imagine the faith that that would take to say that? To even get that idea like, whoa, you know what? Let's follow that star. It's one thing to look at a star and be like, I wonder if this is like the prophecy. And you read it and you're like, hmm, sure enough. It could be. But then it's another thing to say, you know what? Let's pack up our stuff, load up the camels. And you know what? Let's follow that star. That's another thing entirely. That's where, you know, faith and feet match. The converging of faith and feet. Faith, feet, and hands. And I pray that's the, what, the case for all of us. Faith, feet, and hands. And mind and heart. Everything at the complete and total alignment with the will of the Lord. And so this, you know, the 70 years in captivity, the Lord was chastising the people and disciplining those whom He loves. But then at the same time, Look at the influence that the Jews had in their areas where they were at. Look at, you know, Daniel. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at the influence that they had on the people. You see how beautiful this is? And so now, you know, like in after the 70 years of captivity, you know, the people, the Jews, they repent and they say, okay, it's, it's back to Jew for Jew. 
We're not going to intermingle because the Lord told us, don't intermingle, don't no mixture. It's just going to be Jew for Jew. And so in accordance with the law, here you are, here we are. We read verse uh, verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Because that's that's the law. I'm not trying to say that the Lord likes a mixture today. He doesn't mind a mixture people-wise, but he doesn't like a mixture with, you know, when we play games with sin. Like when the Lord told the, in, the, in the law, the Lord tells the people, hey, don't mess with the Canaanites, don't mess with the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hittites. Don't mess with these people because they do. They have their other gods. They worship these other gods. And you know what? I'm not like that. So you don't worship these other gods. You are a people, special people set apart. The Lord says the exact same thing to us today. We could still go into, you know, downtown Portland. We could still go to Los Angeles. We could still go to New York. We could still go to whatever. But that doesn't mean we have to go to the brothels. That doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go to the street corner and get some drugs. No intermingling. No idolatry. Don't play games with the Lord. He doesn't like a mixture. He likes people who are 100% sold out for Him. That's what He desires. For all of creation, not just Christians, for all of creation. He uses messengers today to tell people that. To share the good news. He wants you, He wants me to share the good news. And what's so cool is you have Peter... You know, the fish are brought to him. And it's, you know, the house, the full house, you know, walking with Cornelius, walking the door. It's like, whoa, this is a full house. This is a packed house. And so he's bringing it up. Here you have a Jew inside the home of, you know, Gentiles. That alone, that in itself is hardcore. That's like, whoa, this never happens. And so look what he says. But God, in verse 28... <laughs> But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, you know what? You see what's so beautiful about verse 28 is that Peter is now confident. Because remember verse 15, the Lord had to do show him two times, the second time, two times. Verse 16, you know, the Lord had to show him three times. In verse 17, he was unsure. He wondered or he was nonplussed. He was unsure about what to do. This is after the vision. Like, man, what was this all about, Lord? I don't get it. He was nonplussed. And so in verse 19, the Holy Spirit gives him instruction. And now, what do you see? Peter is confident. This is a hardcore, major, major, major example of where God guides, God provides. Provision, a lot of times people think provision has, has to do with money. Provision has nothing to do with money. Where God guides, God provides. Peter is no longer nonplussed. He's no longer unsure about what to do. He straight up tells the people, a house full of Gentiles. He says, God's, God has shown me what God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He's confident. He doesn't wonder. This is just a day after when he was wondering. You see what's so beautiful about a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You might wonder about whatever. You might be unsure about whatever. 
You seek the Lord, you pray, and then you wait on the Lord. And you, Peter, a day later, he's confident. Confident. God has shown me, you guys. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or clean. Remember, he's a Jewish guy in the house of Gentiles. Or a Gentile in Cornelius' house. In verse 29. Sorry for these pauses. I try not to pause too much. But whenever you hear these pauses, like, I gotta take a drink of tea. Pray for my throat because it's pretty shot. <clears throat> okay, I gotta learn sign language. So it's like, you know, we'll do like little video conferences. I can still teach when I, with my hands and my, you know, I guess just my hands. <laughs> but um, verse 29, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. This is kind of funny. I read verse 29. It's kind of funny. Not in a bad sense. But, you know, it's like, remember verse 23? Verse 23, you know, he, he tells the guys, the three guys, the little entourage of Cornelius. He says, yeah, let, you know, shack up with me for the night. Let's stay the night, you know. And so here he's telling the household. He's telling the people. He says, you know, as soon, you know, he says, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. So he's kind of glossing a little bit, you know. Little, little, little glossing there. And so uh, I just think that's kind of humorous. So verse 29, he says, I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? For what reason have you sent me? You say like, wait a second, Jay. I thought you told me Peter was confident. Why is he asking for what reason have you sent for me? Well, Peter is 100% confidence in direction. But what he's about to have confidence now He's about to have confidence in purpose. And you're about to see the alignment into God's will. You say, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, say for example, you know, it's your birthday. Okay. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's your birthday. I know it's your birthday. And, you know, I'm going to treat you. And you say, okay. And I say, get in my car. Except you're going to drive. So you're in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. You're like, where are we going? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you, but this is going to be just killer where I'm taking you. It's like, okay. So I say, start the car. You start the car. I say, okay, back up, do the thing, you know, turn left, turn right. And you're doing everything exactly as I say. Turn left, turn right, go straight, keep going, slow down, all these things. And then all of a sudden I say, okay, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, turn right. And turn right into the parking lot. I say, park. We park, we get out of the car. And it's like the best lasagna on the planet, you know. The best lasagna in the planet. It's like, okay. So what I've just described to you is like, you know, you have confidence in direction, you know, while we're in the car. You have confidence in direction, but you have no idea where we're going. But then once we park the car, we get out of the car and it's like this killer restaurant that has the best like world-renowned lasagna. And I say, here we are. This is what I wanted to surprise you with. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. Let's eat. Let's chow down. And then all of a sudden you have, uh, you have clarity and you have confidence in the purpose. That's what I'm talking about. Directionally, Peter was confident in what, what the Lord desired. But then at the same time, you know, now he's confident in the purpose. You know, like the, you know, like, 
directionally, like, you know, turn left, turn right. He's complete and total confidence. Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. And that's how we are with the Lord. Complete and total confidence in trusting the Lord and knowing that when He says turn left, hey, I'm going to turn left. There might be times in life when the Lord says turn left, you turn right, and the very second you realize you should have turned left, what do you do? You turn back, get back to where you need to be. You repent, and the Lord will reroute. The Lord will say, okay, do a U-turn. The Lord will reroute you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, now you have confidence and purpose now. And that's why Peter asked this question. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? I have to say something because there's there's this bad theology that's brewing and it's getting more popular. It started in, the, I would say, the early 80s. And then, you know, I started to read in certain books, you know, the, the early eight, like they were published in the early 80s. And then I started to see it, you know, amp up publish wise. I, I always look at the copyright dates. And then publishing wise, I start to see it get more popular in the late 90s. And then from like 2005 to today, it's just blowing up. And it's hardcore with the Calvinists. It's hardcore re- 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 with Reformed theology. It's a hardcore theology with Presbyterianism and a Neo-Calvinist. And I'll tell you what it is. Where they say, God has His will, and then God has His perfect will. And I hate that theology. God has His will, and God has His perfect will. You know why I hate that theology? Because it presumes that there's imperfection with God's will. Never in the Holy Bible, in the entirety of Holy Scripture, do you see imperfection with God's will. You never see that. Do you know why people come up with this stupid doctrine? It's because they're making excuse for their own carnality. Oh yeah, I beat on my wife, I cheat on my wife, I do all these things. You know, I'm disobedient to whatever. I have the crack pipe, I have this, I have that. You know, I'm still in God's will because once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 12. Once saved, always saved. I'm in God's will, but you know what? I'm not in His perfect will. It's an excuse. It's an excuse for their own carnality. A lot of times, these are the same people who dismiss the moving of the Holy Spirit. They lock them in. They put the Holy Spirit in a box that was confined to 2,000 years ago. I say, open up the lid of that box and let the Holy Spirit out in your heart. There's no such thing as God's will and God's perfect will. God's will is 100% perfect. Perfection. When people say that, it really bugs me. Because it's like, wait a second, you're implying that statement alone that God has His will and there's His perfect will. You're implying that there's imperfection in our Lord. Who You're the one who tells me He's sovereign. You know, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I'm not mocking His sovereignty. God is indeed sovereign. But you know what? It's like, hey, you know what? You're telling me God is sovereign? Live like it. Live like it. Take your crack pipe and throw it in the trash. You know, it's a trip. Because these people, come, they, they make these things up as an excuse for their doctrine. You see that a lot, you know, where you see book upon book upon book upon book based on 
a doctrine. I'll give you an example. Like, um, how do I explain this? There's like, um, how do I explain this? Okay. You take the book of Enoch, for example, which a lot of non-believers, a lot of mockers, they say, oh yeah, the Bible's fake because you know what? You exclude the, the book of Enoch. Well, the book of Enoch is, is something that the First Vatican Council uses heavily. And so the First Vatican Council, they lean on the writings of the book of Enoch. And so they take these writings from the book of Enoch, extrapolate these other doctrines, and then they take the Second Vatican Council and they extrapolate from the First Vatican Council. And you know what you're doing? Each step is a step in the wrong direction because you're leaving the Council of Holy Scripture. Same thing with the historical uh, councils in, 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 in church history. And I say air quote church history because that's where you have the Council of Dort where it's like they make this edict about Calvinism, the Council of Dort, which, you know, sometimes people, you know, I rub people the wrong day, wrong way when I say this, but, you know, sometimes I wonder, yeah, it's, it, it, I won't say it. I have to be careful. I have to be careful because, you know, I want to be wise to the times. You know, sometimes there's certain things that I want to say, but then at the same time, it's like, whoa, you know what? You know, I, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to go to prison, you know, because it, you know, unless the Lord wants me to. But it's like, you know, I have to be wise to the times. Because there's pastors who are being arrested for the things that they say. Pastors that are being arrested for the things they say against, you know, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenders, all these things that they say. People are like, you know, these snowflakes. Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. In California, they have like spies. And so our pastor would tell us, he said, you know, I, I want to say certain things, but I can't say it because, you know, I want to tell you, he kind of glosses around. It's kind of like very, you have to be wise. Pray for pastors. Pray hardcore for pastors, the, the biblical ones, the ones who teach truth. Because not the hirelings, but the ones who equip their flocks, the flocks of the Almighty. He'll skirt around issue, you know, a certain issue, kind of telling us what he's saying, but not in so many words. Because what happens, you have these spies that come into the church. They're like lesbians, you know, or gay people, or, you know, they might be whatever, you know. They come into the church, they listen to a sermon, and they're recording the sermon, and then they go out of the church, they leave, and then Monday morning, they're talking with their lawyer. And then the church, they get a letter in the mail, and they say, you know... You have to, you know, kind of like a cease and desist order. You know, don't teach about this. If you continue to teach about this, we're going to, you know, uh, give you a lawsuit. We're going to file suit. So I have to be wise. Pray for pastors. Pray, you know, pray for me. Because, yeah, I, I want to be wise. I want to be wise in teaching you. I want to be wise in teaching you about things, things to be cautious of, things to watch out for, things to be equipped of, how to fight. But then at the same time, you know, I don't want to be, speak so loosely that you know, I get a lawsuit. <laughs> hey, you know, cease and desist. Who sent this? You know, talk to my Lord. Who sent this? It's from this guy, John MacArthur. Who is this guy? No, I'm <laughs> you know, So pray, you know, to be wise in the last days. 
you know, and if we have to have church at a tree, you know, meet at a tree, oh, yeah, there's this big tree in Philida, you know, we're going to have church over there, you know, kind of go underground, so be it, you know, no, no recordings, you know, say, leave your phones in your car, and you know what, we're just going to, like, handle business like crazy, and it's so cool, because this is, the, like, the last day's church, it's like, wow, we have to be so wise, so wise, like serpents, you know, it's, like, so interesting, because, like, you know, Satan is a serpent, and the Lord teaches us to be wise like, like that. You know, I'm not talking about be like evil, but I'm saying be wise like that. Be like, you know, very strategic, but in a holy strategy. Wise like serpents and peaceful as doves. Peaceful as doves. I don't know, a lot of people forget that. Peaceful as doves. You know what? I don't care if you're homosexual. I don't care if you're lesbian. I don't care if you're transgender. But you know what? I had sexual sin in my life too one time. And it's to say, you know what? Repent. Deny those things. You need to deny that lifestyle just like I deny the lifestyle. I'm not that lifestyle, but you know, bad things in my life. Hardcore, hardcore violence. And to deny those things and say, hey, that's over. That's the old nature. You know, Lizzie, when we were living in Southern California, she was kind of afraid to move up to the uh, the Northwest because it's like, you know, I, I have a history, you know? And so she was kind of nervous. That, you know, that's the old me. And these are things sometimes where she's, you know, I get kind of like, uh, you know, like um, a, a little conviction and she assures me, she's like, you know what? That's the old you. That's not, that's not you anymore. That's the old you. And I love it so much. It's like, wow. You know, thanks, you know, not like thanks, but like, it's just comforting, you know, to be in the fold of Christ among his people, you know, so I have to be wise in how, so like, that's why sometimes I want to say something, like, I'm going to tell you guys something, and I say, oh, never mind, because in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, I can't be stupid, you know, so pray for pastors, because we're entering, it's, Things are shifting. Things are shifting big time. You know, the enemy knows his time is short. And so he's going to amp up the fight. He's amping up the fight hardcore. Instead of using little pistols, he's going to pull out the rifles. Instead of pulling out the rifles, he's going to bust out, you know, the, the cannons. Instead of using cannons, he's going to use the tanks. Major bombs, the big old Moabs. He's going to bust out some major artillery. And you know what we have to do? We have to do the same in wisdom. In wisdom. So we have to be wise to the times. Redeeming the times. The Bible teaches us, hey, redeem the times. And so these people, they don't realize that, you know, you see how a lot of carnality is being exposed? Just, <laughs> just a month. <laughs> you know, one month. One month of uh, quarantine, so-called quarantine. I mean, you can still go out. You can still get takeout. You know, one month of so-called quarantine and people are going crazy. You know, we have to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Kind of like uh, recon, you know. It's kind of like recon. Go under the radar. Recon, we go, we're out in the world. We're not of the world. We're out in the world and we're fishing. That's another little pause. So pray for pastors. And uh, for this pastor, pray for wisdom. 
pray for my throat and, uh, you know, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, you know. And likewise, you know, we're praying for you guys too. So let's see, um, verse um, 29. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So you see, this is a hardcore question. And what's so cool, don't forget, the Lord told him in verse uh, 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 15, the Lord told him, hey, Peter, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. This was a hardcore message for Peter. It rocked his world. So much so that the Lord had to tell him several times. Several times. You know, verse 15, uh, two times. Verse 16, three times. Verse 17, uh, 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 he's unsure. Verse 19, the Holy Spirit has to give him direction. And I love this so much because there's going to be times in your life where you wonder about whatever. Lord, should I do this? Lord, what, where, where are you leading me? Lord, do I do this? Do I say, do I not do this? Lord, what, what do I do? I need direction. Be patient. For Peter, it was just a day that he had to wait. Some people have to wait a long time. But you know what's so cool? You know, for Peter, it was just a day. But look at who Peter was, you know. Look, at he was a disciple of Christ who denied the Lord three times. And then all of a sudden, he came back to the Lord. And then he has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's kind of a heavy in the early church. He's one of the apostles. The Lord is using him. And you see his close personal relationship with the Lord. And now things are starting to become more clear directionally and purposely speaking. In verse 30, So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting. So, you know, add that to the list. It's not revealed in verse 2 that he was fasting. But here it says, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So he's, you know, reporting the sequence of events that happened. An angel, verse 31, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. You know, don't forget that, you know, as Cornelius is speaking, there's all these people in his house. All these people, a full house, friends, family, you know, maybe some troops were there, his servants. All these people are there. And he's a respected guy, a man of authority. And Peter is listening and don't forget that as Peter is listening to Cornelius give this report, that Peter himself had a vision from God. So Cornelius is explaining his vision, and Peter is, you know, listening. But at the same time, just the day before, the Lord gave him a vision. And you see how the Holy Spirit, you know, led him to the house of Cornelius for such a time as this, a divine appointment. For such a time as this. You see that's how the Lord works. There is absolutely zero manipulation. No manipulation. You know Peter's not you know a little cheesy salesman. You know Cornelius. Don't forget he's a man of authority. But then at the same time he's open. He's receptive to these holy things. The Lord is the one. He said, you know, the, your prayers and your alms have come before as a memorial before God. Came up for a memorial before God. That's verse 4. And this memorial is like a record. A record. The Lord sees. And so look what happens here in verse 32. 
Send therefore to Joppa. So he's telling him the vision he saw. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon. Call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. Remember, there's two Simons in the house. Not that Simon, the Simon who's called Peter. He says, he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So you see, if, if I were a Calvinist, which I'm not, if I were a Calvinist, I would say, God compelled Peter. God is sovereign. You know, God compelled Peter to, you know, to go to, to court, the house of Cornelius. You know, by compulsion, God had the, the Holy Spirit compelled because God is sovereign. You can't question God. You can't, you don't know his ways. You don't know these things. So, you know what? He's sovereign. He's in control. He compels you. That's what I would say if I were a Calvinist. But you know what? Praise be unto the Lord because I'm not a Calvinist. Look at verse, verse 10, Peter's trance, the vision that he has from the Lord. And then you keep reading from verse 10, he has a vision and God is showing him and guiding him. And so it's like, wait a second, you know, a Calvinist would say, oh yeah, God compelled Peter to go to Cornelius' house. No, 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 no. Look at the interaction that the Lord has with Peter. Even when Peter is unsure. Even when Peter says, no, no, Lord, not so, Lord, in verse 14. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I mean, can you imagine telling the Lord no? That's what Peter did. No, Lord, not so, Lord. And then the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has made clean, you must not call common. Red letters. Red letters. You know what's so cool about that? Peter knows the voice of the Lord. Peter knows the voice of the Lord. He has oneness with the Lord, a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's like, okay. That's what's so cool about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. You see his hand, you know his voice, you're in his word, and it's like, man, you know, the first time he speaks to you, it's like, okay, you got to test the spirits. The second time, still test the spirits. The tenth time, it's like, wow, you get to know him. I'm not trying to say, like, you don't test the spirits. What about the twentieth time or the hundredth time? You still have to, you know, test the spirits, but it's less and less because it's like, well, you, you know him, and he knows you. And I'm not, I'm not trying to... You know, say that we loosen our fight, loosen our our stance. But I, what I am trying to say is that you, you, there's deeper familiarity that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Deeper familiarity. I mean, to say to say it that way doesn't even do it justice, because remember when Jesus Christ told the disciples, He says, "I no longer call you servants; I call you friends." What a joy that is. It's like, wow, you know, you're a servant of the Lord, a servant of the Lord. But what happens when the servant falls in love with the master? The master falls in love with the servant. And it's like, wow, the two become one. Spiritually speaking, I gave you the example before. Say you're very wealthy and your house is so huge you can't even clean it. You're like, man, I'm going to hire somebody. And so you hire that. Yeah, raise my hand. I'll do it. You know, I'll be your servant. And maybe we don't get along at first. (laughs) Or maybe we hit it off. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, you're my servant. You know, Jay, you're my servant. It's like, yes, you know. And then you tell me after a year, okay, you're free to go. You've done your time. I've paid you your wages. You've, you're good to go. 
And I said, no, 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 wait a second. I've fallen in love with you. You take care of me, you know, you have this little room here. I got my bed, my dresser, got a bathroom there. You take care of me. I live in your quarter, in your, in your, in your, you know, your, your home. I live here. And then at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm serving you. I'm cleaning you, cleaning for you. I'm making your meals. I'm doing all these things. But it's like, I'm your servant, but I love you. And it's like, but then the master, you know, as in, you say, okay, but you know what? You're my servant, but you're also my friend. That's called a bondservant. That's what happens with Paul when he call he calls himself a bondservant of Christ. You say, oh, that's kind of you know what do you mean? egotistical to call himself a bondservant? No, I call that humility. Because look at the freedom he had. I mean, it's like a servant. Once they're let go, it's like okay, you're free. But no, Paul says, no. You know what? I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. But no, I love my chains. I welcome my chains because I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm in chains to Him. That's why I always wonder, you know, I used to wonder for the longest time, I don't anymore. Now it's become crystal clear. But I always used to wonder, it's like, okay, you're in bondage to Satan. You're chained up. You have chains around your wrist. And the other end, of that's one end of the chains. The other end goes to Satan. And you're, you're in bondage to Satan. You're on drugs, doing the sexual stuff, doing all kinds of crazy things. And it's like, okay, that's your life. And then what happens? You come to Christ and He frees you. And for the longest time, like, it's like, okay, you're free. I'm free. I'm free. And it's like, okay, He let the shackles go so they're no longer around your wrist. And then I used to wonder, wait a second. What if the shackles that were around the wrist, what if they're still there? What if this whole time the Lord, he, he freed me, but from Satan's end? From Satan's end. So I still have shackles on my wrist. Except my whole life, this all this time as a Christian, I've been dragging chains. I'm free. I can go anywhere I want to. I can do anything I want to. I'm free in Christ. Not using freedom in Christ as an excuse for, uh, 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 excuse for vice. But I'm free. I'm free, but this whole time I've been dragging it. The early stages, I thought I was free at the wrist. But no, I look at my wrist and I still see the shackles there. I'm still free to go anywhere. I look down and I see the chain. I've been dragging the chain for years. But now I don't see it that way. At all. I don't see it that way. You know what I see? I see, you know, you pick up the chain from the ground from the other end, you know, you still have shackles on your wrist. You go to the, you stoop down to the ground, you pick up the chains, and you say, Here, Lord. Here, Lord. I'm yours. I'm in chains. Yeah, I'm free to do this, I'm free to do that. But no, Lord. I'm yours. What will you have me do? And I want you guys to start thinking about your relationship with Jesus Christ like that. Immense freedom in Christ to do whatever. I don't mean whatever, but I meant, you know, in accordance with the Bible. <laughs> Immense freedom in Christ. But you know what? You're, you still have the, the, the shackles around your wrist. You still have the shackles around your wrist. 
this whole time you've been dragging your chain. My prayer is that one day you'll pick up that chain and say, Here, Lord, this is for you. I am your bondservant in Christ. I am yours. I am your ambassador in chains. What will you have me do? That's what I believe the last day's church is going to look like. The remnant church. Not the last day's church, the one that gets tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines. Not that church. Not the church of Laodicea. The church of Philadelphia. It's so cool how the Lord teaches us. And so look what happens here. You see, in verse 32, he says, when he comes, he will speak to you. And you see the alignment of the will of Cornelius, the will of Peter, and the will of the Lord. You know, the will of the Lord on top. And then right below that, you start to see Cornelius come in alignment with God. And then you see Peter come in alignment with God. And it's like you see what the Lord is doing, what he's orchestrating. This is God's will. This is a biblical example of the will of the Lord. Not how Calvinists believe. Oh, yeah, God, I can beat on my wife, cheat on my wife, put these needles in my arm. I can do all these crazy things. And I'm still in God's will because once saved, always saved. I'm just not in His perfect will. You see, they make excuse for sin. Say, where did you learn that crazy doctrine? Oh, this, you know, uh, John McSchmuck told me that. Oh, you mean the same guy who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast? That guy? He never said that. Oh, let me show I'll play it for you. Here it is right here. I'll play it for you. Listen. You know, you you have his uh, study things on, on, on tape. That's old school. Uh, on uh, MP3, you know, or whatever. Listen to this. That's his voice. He says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you can still be saved. Is that the same guy who told you? Is that the same guy? You know what, brother? You know what, sister? He's wrong. He's wrong. God's will is perfect, period. You're the one that needs to get in alignment. You're the one that needs to deny your crack. You're the one that needs to deny your pornography. You're the one that needs to deny your alcoholism. And you need to align with Christ, His will, which is perfect. And then, maybe you'll start to see the Holy Spirit move again. Maybe you'll start to see the Holy Spirit move like He did in the book of Acts. Maybe the Holy Spirit won't skip over you like He did with Simon. Maybe the Holy Spirit will baptize you. That's His call. It's not my call. All I know is that, you know what, you're way on left field. Here, hold my hand. 
That's what's so beautiful about the last days. People talk about, oh yeah, tribulation, I don't want this, I don't, it's so terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. But look what's happening. People will be forced to deny these crazy doctrines. I mean, they don't won't be forced. I mean, they'll have a hardcore choice to make. Oh, the rapture. I thought the rapture was supposed to come, but here I am. I'm still here. What happened? Here, hold my hand. Oh, man, I believed in all these things. And look, my house is, you know, burned down. The earthquake destroyed everything. My bank account is nothing. There's this pestilence going around. Everybody's dying left and right. And they're on their knees. And you say, look, are you humble now? They say, yes. I'm broken. Good. Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. You believe this doctrine. You believe this. You believe that. And look what it's got. Look what it's given you. No. Hold my hand. Get up. Stand up to your feet. Get strength in your bones again. Get strength in your muscles again. And walk with me. We're going to Zion. Walk with me. You see? And so Cornelius, he's telling Peter, So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things God, all the things commanded you by God. This is so beautiful. Because they're not even a church. Cornelius, his friends, his family, they're not even a church. But they're hungry for the word of God. You know, Peter doesn't need to quote-unquote captivate an audience. Today, that's what they teach in seminary. In, you know, ministry schools. You know, teach the Bible, but don't go over 30 minutes. Because if you go over 30 minutes, you're going to lose your audience. They say, okay, I'll teach for 10 minutes, and then after 10 minutes, I got to tell a joke. And then after this, you know, I, I can teach for another 10 minutes, I got to tell another joke. You know, keep up, keep the audience alive. That's carnal thinking. This isn't like a speech, this is a sermon, a sermon from the Word of God. And power that emanates from the Word of God, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And that's what I love so much about Cornelius and the people in his home. It's like, whoa, they were expecting, what does this guy have to say to us? We are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And I wonder if the whole time Peter has a big old smile on his face. Wow, this is so cool. And the day before, the Lord told me, not what God has cleaned, you must not call it unclean. It's like, whoa, this is so, if he has a smile on his face, like, Lord, what in the world? This is so cool, Lord. And so verse 34, the messenger gives a message. Look what happens here in verse 34. <clears throat> I got to pause. I'm drinking some tea. Next week's sermon will be in sign language. We'll have a little video conference. Uh, so verse 34, but then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In the King James Version, this is God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Remember this because verse 15, Peter was shown this straight up by the Lord. 
A straight-up Jew is in the home of a Gentile. That in itself is hardcore. For what? To give a message, to give the good news. In truth, he says, I perceive that God shows no partiality. You know what's so cool? He's saying these things with such hardcore confidence when the day before he didn't have this confidence. But in the course of time, you know, piece by piece, the Holy Spirit ministered to him. The Holy Spirit comforted him. And by what's happening here in the house of Cornelius, as Cornelius just told him his little dissertation or report of what happened, he's got this big old smile on his face. Okay, Lord, I now have clarity of purpose. Clarity of direction is beautiful. Clarity of purpose is beautiful. The two coming together, man, put on your seatbelt. Put on the seatbelt because the Lord is showing you things. He's taking you places. He says in verse 35, But in every nation, ethnos in the Greek, race, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him or is approved. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So Jesus wasn't a secret. You know, keep in mind that, you know, remember Cornelius is, you know, he's, he's hardcore. He's a centurion. So it, it's like, you know, if there was a, if you were a centurion and there's say like an uprising in, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Yakult, wherever that is. I've never been there, but I just see it on the map. Yakult. So say there's an uprising in Yakult and you're a centurion. You're, you're in the know. You're going to hear about it. What if, what if a centurion in Yakult gives you a call, you know, sends you a text message? Okay, you know, you're active now. Get up here. Make your way up here. We need your help. You know, you're activated. You're gonna, you need to help us in this campaign against this uprising. So it's, it's the centurion, Cornelius, he was like in the know about this particular Jewish fellow. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't a secret. This, there's this uprising among the Jewish people. It's of this big commotion. You know, they killed the guy. They had him at the stake. You know, they killed him at, on, on, I shouldn't say at the stake, but they killed him on the cross. They put stakes in his hands. They hung him on the cross. There's some kind of rebellion. This centurion, is, as Cornelius is hearing these things, he's like, okay, you know, He's listening to Peter speak. In verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Keep in mind, too, there's all this in the household of Cornelius, the full house, his friends, his family. And they themselves, remember their big commotion? I mean, like, when straight up, like, Dead people become alive again when straight up uh, uh, crippled people get up and walk again. People who've been, you know, crippled from birth and they're straight up walking. Word spreads. Word spreads. And so all of a sudden, look what happens here. You know, for God was with them, he says in verse 38, verse 39, and we are the witnesses. Remember, there were brethren there too. Maybe there are at least two other guys there with them. You know, maybe there's a sister there with them, you know. And brethren, pluralized, can include women. 
So I don't know. Maybe the, there were some some of the uh, Jewish believers from Joppa that said, "Okay, Peter, we're going to join you." And they said, "Okay, come on, let's go." At least two. And so it says, "And we are the witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. They put him on a cross." Non-believers, the uh, mockers of the last days, they'll say, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. You know, was, did Jesus Christ hang on a tree or did he hang on a cross? Look, he hung on a cross. You tell them, tell these mockers, he hung on a cross. You know, what is a cross made of? Wood. Where do you get wood? A tree. That's why they call it a tree. You know, like back in the day, we used to have these, uh, the shower rooms. You know, we'd all go in and take a shower. You know, they called it the rain room. It wasn't like, a, there wasn't literal rain coming down, but you go in there, they call it the rain room. There's not literal rain coming down there, but it's where we showered. You know, all these uh, uh, vernaculars jargon that is given that is for specific things. So it's like, you know, yeah, you know, you go to the rain room, but it's not, it's not literal rain there. You know, these mockers, they say, well, what was it? Was it a tree or a cross? Look, it was a cross. What's the cross made out of? Wood. Where do you get wood? You know, where do you get wood? Him, in verse 40, him, God raised, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, showed him openly, not to all people, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Remember, it's like they had a meal. When they ate a meal, and then all of a sudden, that's when Peter, when the Lord tells Peter, like, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. He tells him three times. Remember, though, he denied the Lord three times, and he assured the Lord three times, yes, Lord, I love you. And that's where the Lord tells Peter, Peter, when you were younger, you know, you did what you wanted. You went where you wanted. But when you're old, you know, you're going to go places that you don't want to go. And he was prophesying about his death, the manner of death that Peter was going to have. You know what I love so much about Peter? Is that this whole time, here we are in Acts 10. But this whole time from the day that the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter that, you know, Peter, you're going to follow me and you're going to get taken places that you don't want to go to. And instead, this whole time, Peter could have said, okay, I'm out, I'm done. I'm just going to stay here in Joppa, you know, and live here and, you know, have my family and just, you know, that's it, you know. But no, he remains obedient to his call. He remains obedient to his call, knowing that there's this, I don't want to say looming, but it is kind of looming what the Lord told him. It can happen, though. Peter doesn't know when it's going to happen. But he's still obedient. He remains obedient to his, his call. That's what I love so much. And, you know, historically, Peter, when he was, all the all the apostles were killed. And historically, they went to hang Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Put me upside down. So they put him upside down. And he's on the cross. He dies on the cross upside down because he didn't get it. He didn't consider himself worthy to die like the Lord. It's a different Peter. Different Peter. You see, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what's so beautiful about, you know, BC, your before Christ days, and your, you know, your in Christ days. 
Because who you were, that's the old man, that's the old woman. Satan is the one who tries to stoke those flames. Don't let him. Don't let him. Fight. Fight like crazy. And it's so cool what the Lord can do with anybody. Anybody. Look what happens here. It says um, in verse 42, And he commanded us, speaking about Jesus Christ, notice the capital H, and he commanded us. Remember who Peter is speaking to or who's in the room with Peter? A guy by the name of Cornelius who's listening to Peter speak, who he himself is a commander of men, a centurion. And he's seeing the obedience of Peter and the brethren that were with him. He's seeing their obedience. Well, I mean, say, for example, if you were a commander. And I don't know how to explain this. But when you're a commander, it's, <clears throat> and I've never been a commander. That's like a commissioned officer, uh, captain. Captain at one point was a lieutenant. At one point, he was nothing. He was just a recruit. But then he became a lieutenant, second lieutenant. It was, you know, very low scale, but it's still leadership. And then, you know, lieutenant and then a captain. But, you know, being under obedience, but then at the same time, he himself is in a position of authority. He's very well accustomed to authority. He would say something and whoever was under his chain would do it. That was the expectation of a centurion. That was the expectation of the troops under him. And so the centurion is listening to Wow, look at these Jews in my house. You know, what obedience they have. He's speaking about the commandment of this Jesus. And here they are in my house, breaking the law in accordance with the, the Jewish law. Who is this commander? Who is this commander that tells them what to do and they do it in obedience? He's no stranger to that concept of, of a command and a rendering obedience to orders. The centurion is not a stranger to that. So I wonder if there was some type of appreciation, maybe even adoration, for the fact that Peter was in his, room, in, in his home, along with these other Jews that were with him. He says in verse 42, <clears throat> And he commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Remember, he's speaking to a room full of Gentiles, listening to these Jewish, that this Jewish guy, Peter, speak about their God, this God in accordance with you know Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ over Caesar. Remember. If we were Roman citizens at this particular time, we would say Caesar is Lord. We would pray to Caesar. You know, Caesar, that was like he was God on earth. Kind of like, you know, Pharaoh was. And so for all of a sudden, for this, I mean, it was kind of kind of criminal what these Jews were saying in the house of, of, of uh, uh, Cornelius. Like, wait a second, Caesar's God on earth. There's nobody higher than Caesar. What you're saying is blasphemous in accordance to Rome, let alone the Jews. And so there's a room full of 
Gentiles that are listening to these Jewish guys proclaim the authority of Jesus Christ over Caesar. And so he says to him in verse 43, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him translates as whosoever. Whosoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Whosoever. Never, ever, 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 ever forget that. Whosoever. You know what that means? Anybody. Anybody. You know what the Calvinists say? God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell for his glory. Oh, but he died on the cross for everybody. Yes, but only in a saving way for the elect, those that are predestined for heaven. That's what they say. That's garbage. No, he died for everybody. The question is, who is going to receive him? Who is going to receive him? Whosoever believes in him. You say, wait a second, Jay. That kind of sounds like universalism. Does that mean you can be in sin and, and, and still go to heaven? No, it's to say, repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. It's like, you know, a gift. You know, the, the gift is for everybody, but not everybody receives the gift. What Calvinism says is that, you know, God only gives the gift to the elect. No, the gift is for everybody. The question is, among everybody, who are the ones that receive the gift and take in the gift and consume the gift? Everything, every jot, every tittle of this gift. Whosoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. That's forgiveness. <clears throat> cancer, you know, you have cancer. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I have cancer. You know, it's stage three, stage four, or whatever, you know. It's pretty hardcore, pretty invasive. And you get your uh, chemotherapy. And it's like, wow, you know, the cancer it goes away. You lose your hair. And it's like, wow, you know, right after treatment, it's like, how's your cancer? It's like, I'm in remission. It's gone. It's gone. The cancer's gone. It's like, wow, praise the Lord. Okay, you know, like, let's eat. You know, get something to eat. Get some muscle on your, you know, get some meat on your bones. So you eat, work out, all these things. And a year later, how's your cancer? It's remission still. Ten years later, I'm in remission. Twenty years later, I'm in remission. Praise be to the Lord. And you're like normal again. You know, you have your hair. You know, you have your, you know, you're, you're not bony anymore. You're nice and chubby. You know, it's like, wow, cool. Praise the Lord. That's what the same thing with sin. Remission of sin. Remission of sin. Verse 44. <clears throat> While Peter was still speaking these words. <laughs> this is so cool. You know, you see the eagerness of the Lord too. You know, you see the eagerness of Cornelius the eagerness of Peter, and the eagerness of the Lord. What do you mean the eagerness of the Lord? Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. It says a lot about the hearts of what was going on inside of that home. No skipping like there, you know, like with Simon. The Holy Spirit didn't skip over people. It says a lot about their hearts. It says a lot about their hearts. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. <clears throat> and so in verse 45, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter. This translates, it says, as many, or whoever, whoever came with Peter. So those Jews, it could be at least two. At least two. <clears throat> at least two. And so there were those of the circumcision who believed in Jesus Christ, and they were astonished. 
astonished. It says, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This is so unheard of. Remember, it was Peter who had the vision. The Lord gave Peter the vision. You know, and you know, the other, the Jews that were with them, the, the other ones say, Peter, can we go with you? Yeah, come on. Whether it was two, whether it was 10, I don't know. But those Jews, they were also, I, you know, I, me personally, I believe it was maybe two. I don't think it was like a huge amount of people. I think it was probably two. And I'll explain that more because remember, on account of two or three witnesses. So I think it's good because we're going to see that next week. And we'll study that more in chapter 11. But, you know, because there's a lot of beef that arises amongst the Jews. They're like, wait a second, this is for the Jews. You know, the, 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 the Messiah, he came for the Jews. But these people that were with Peter, these other Jews, these Messianic Jews who believed that the circumcision, they're in one accord. And you start to see the body is growing. The body of Christ is growing, both Jew and now Gentile. You see how beautiful this is? In verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You know, it's so cool. You know, speaking in tongues, I don't speak negatively about it. Paul gives specific instructions. The Bible indicates specific instructions for how it's used and how it's utilized. It's a heavenly language. But then at the same time, sometimes it's a language, like we read in Acts 2, sometimes it's a language that is, you know, like a specific language like of the earth. But then we read like well, Paul's writings. And in some cases, it's a heavenly language. But then at the same time, you know, whenever you see the gift of tongues being used and it's to magnify self, you know immediately it's false. It's for show it's fake. Because it's like, wow, look at me, I'm speaking in tongues, look how holy I am. You know, and then, you know, you look on my social media and you see all kinds of drunkenness. That's stupidity. I couldn't be a pastor if that were the case. Stupidity. When people magnify themselves, you know that it's all a farce. But when people magnify the Lord, it's like, wow, tell me what you have to say. I want to hear what you have to say. And they speak in tongues while well, praise the Lord. Or what about when somebody prays in tongues, but they say, yeah, I pray in tongues, but I do it when I'm praying. Because it's, you know, uh, there's no interpretation. It's like, you know, there's nobody to interpret. And if there's nobody to interpret, I'm not going to teach in tongues. You know why? Because people are going to come in the room and they're going to think we're crazy. They're going to think we're loons. They're going to think we've lost our minds. How are they going to be edified? How are they going to know? How are they going to know the good news when all we're doing is speaking in tongues? And there's no order. Somebody's, you know, preaching in tongues. You know, the lady jumps up, starts speaking in tongues. The guy jumps up, starts doing tongues. It's like, where's the interpretation? Paul says, hey, cut it out. Don't do that. Let a person speak in tongues and then wait a little bit and somebody else should rise up and interpret what, that, what, what, that, uh, what was being said for the edification of the body. That's called order. Order in the church. But what do you see in the church today, especially the charismatic movement? What do you see? Disorder. Magnification of self. Wow, look how holy I am. I speak in tongues. Oh, by the way, you know, don't mind the black eye on my wife. You know, don't mind that my wife is all bruised up. Don't mind that you look at my social media account. You see all kind of drunken revelry. Don't mind that. Look how holy I am, you know, magnifying myself. No, that's wrong magnification of the Lord. 
magnify him. Then Peter said, or then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? You know, look at what we've seen so far in the book of Acts. We've seen the baptism of Jesus. We've seen the baptism, you know, being baptized into Jesus. We've seen the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now we see the baptism of water. You know, you see that with the uh, Ethiopian as well, the eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch from a couple chapters back. What does that signify? You know, it's like the baptism unto belief and then power, the power of the Holy Spirit, but then also death. You say, what do you mean death? A baptism unto death? I gotta pause for a moment. The baptism of death? What are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Water baptism. Water baptism is your gravesite. Okay? Just think, here lies, and then put your name, put a tombstone there. Here lies, you know, whoever. You go down in the water. And you're dead. You die. You come up out of the water. And you're a new creation in Christ. Brand new creation in Christ. And from that moment. From a learning perspective. You are officially like preschool. (laughs) As a new believer. Preschool. And then you matriculate. You grow. You mature. And then you go preschool. Kindergarten. First. Second. Third. Fourth. Fifth. On up to. You know. All up. You matriculate. For the rest of your life. You grow. And you mature in Christ. I'll tell you what a lot of people do today. They get baptized. They go down in the water. They come up in the water, come up from the water, and it's a huge emotional experience. You know, they're like, "Wow, praise the Lord, Hallelujah!" Tears streaming down their eyes. And I'm not trying to speak negatively about tears. There's a lot of emotional aspects to our walk with the Lord, especially being close to the Lord. So people get baptized in the Lord, and then what happens? You know, that very night they're you know, back on the crack pipe. It doesn't work that way. There's no death. There's no death when that happens. There's no reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead. Or, you know, a week later, two weeks later, a month later, they're back in sin. They're back in their old lifestyles. That's the danger behind a steady diet of milk. A steady diet of milk is beautiful, 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 but for babies, you got to get to the spiritual pork chops, the spiritual pork chops and eat it, the meat of the word of God and grow and be nourished by these things. Protein, hardcore protein for your muscles. Deep, deep, deep spiritual nutrients for the body of Christ. You say, wait, I believe, I just believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, belief is enough. Belief is enough, but belief is enough, but it's it's beautiful to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to say that it isn't. But most people live longer than a day. Most people live longer than a day. And I'll explain that. The thief on the cross. Okay. There's two thieves and Jesus Christ. One of those thieves believed in Jesus Christ. He says, you know, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ told him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. For him, belief was enough. Because he died that day. And praise be to the Lord. That he came to Christ. But then at the same time, what if, for example, if that 
thief got off the cross if he like fell off the cross and you know it, it was like nobody was looking and he ran away you know not to suggest that that was possible because he was probably hurt actually they broke their bones remember they broke their legs but say for example like he was he got out of that situation so yeah that he believed in Jesus Christ but what if he hung out with his homies again he goes and hangs out with his homies. They're doing their drugs. You know, they're committing crime. They're doing murder, all kinds of crazy things. And what if he gets sucked back in that lifestyle? That's why I say, you know, belief is enough, but most people live longer than a day. For the thief on the cross, yes, belief was enough. He died that day. For you and me, belief is enough. But wait a second. Let's let's grow. Let's go from milk to, you know, baby food, from baby food to Cheerios, from Cheerios to, I don't know what babies eat, the baby stuff, you know, and then what toddlers eat, what kids eat, what, you know, and then actually like meat, pork chops. Let's matriculate, let's grow. Let's reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. Belief is good, but don't forget obedience too. That's called faith in works. James, Brother James writes about that. Faith without works is dead. It's belief and obedience, the two working together. Belief and obedience. And I love what happens here in verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So you see, the family of God is growing. It's growing, both Jew and Gentile. It's growing. So we're going to end our study here and we'll pick up, you know, next week in the next chapter, Lord willing. And so, you know, uh, we're going to end our study here. Love you guys. Miss you guys. And uh, we'll see you uh, soon, Lord willing. God bless you.